From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Teens were stressed about school, family, and expectations before the pandemic. How are they doing now? It's weird because, you know, you go your whole 13 years of school ready to have your cap and gown high school graduate moment and you can't, which um, honestly, I just hope I get my money back from the cap and gown, frankly. Then we feel a sense of loss during this time of isolation. We'll find out ways to process the emotion and the anxiety. Plus, the winner of Denverite's flash fiction contest, Radioactive, is inspired by healthcare workers on the front lines of the pandemic. We all must have a mutual understanding of how close we are to drowning here. We are the ones who save everyone. No one saves us. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Avery Lill. Teens were under pressure before the pandemic. We've been exploring the strain from cell phones, school, and existential dread of things like climate change in our series Teens Under Stress. So how are teens now? We followed up with some of the high schoolers who have been a part of that series to talk about the ways their lives have changed because of COVID-19. I mean, so far I'm good. I'm just happy to be home and safe, you know. But then there's all this schoolwork. It's like home is so much more stressful because you got to worry about your siblings getting their stuff done and finding a place for you to do your stuff. That's Elijah Mills. He's a freshman at Prep Academy in Denver. Rodrigo Villalobos says school has been on his mind, too. He's a junior at Denver's Strive Prep. When this all first started, I kind of saw it like as a blessing. I was really nervous of like all the AP tests coming up and all like just schoolwork that was starting to pile up. But now that we're a few weeks into it, I'm kind of realizing that while I did have a little moment to, like, take a break, now I actually have to, like, focus mode and just make sure that I do all my work. Olivia Munch is also a junior. She goes to Fort Collins High School. I'm doing pretty good. I think, you know, it's been nice to have some downtime, but I feel really bad for those, you know, like the seniors who have lost graduation. I kind of agree with what he said. I've been struggling to balance my time, especially just with the distractions at home. Lily Flanagan is a senior. She goes to Palisade High School on the Western Slope. I am good and happy to be home. Um, it's just been, it's just almost a weird feeling that all of this is canceled and, and this is sort of the new normal. They have big worries on their minds, and we'll get into that. But we wanted to know about the small things they're missing. Here's Rodrigo. I think the biggest thing I'm missing is, like, the drive after school to drop off all my friends at home. Most of the time, like, it's just, like, a thing that happens, and I don't usually think back on it. But now that I, like, haven't seen my friends in over a month, I'm just, like, those drives would be the most perfect thing to go back to. I miss, you know, people turning to me in the middle of class and making little jokes at me. I think that was, we had a very close sort of cohort of students and I'm definitely missing, you know, randomly doing work in a silent room and then someone turning to me and making a really, a really dumb joke. I think I'm just like mainly missing the community I had at school, like especially like in my student council, we had a really close knit bond and like planning events. I really just miss that group of people, you know, and you can do these virtual meetings, but you know, it's just not the same. And like in my karate dojo, you know, we have these classes and I haven't been able to see those people and have the same level of interaction that we had before. 
Elijah summed up what he's missing in one word, basketball. But school hasn't stopped for the global health crisis. It has changed dramatically. Here's Rodrigo describing what his days look like now. On average, my school day doesn't start until about, like, nine-ish. But it also varies. Most of the time, there's going to be videos for most of my classes. I think I only had, like, one Zoom meeting with one teacher. And in our reality, like, that isn't very helpful for me because, personally, I get really distracted really easily. So if I don't have that, like, self-determination, like, self-discipline to actually do my work, I can get distracted and pretty much, like, have to stay up later that night to do that work. Are you spending more hours on schoolwork now just because it's hard to stay focused? Yeah. Oh, way more. Like, what we have to do is easy, but just because, like, I'll, like, be watching the video and then I just get distracted. So then I have to, like, rewatch the same video over and over to, like, try to pick up on what it's explaining to me. Elijah said he's keeping up, but he also gets distracted at home. Lily is actually enjoying the flexibility of online school. We haven't had a ton of Google Meets and we haven't had, you know, many Zoom classes. So it's been lovely for me to be so flexible with when I do my work because they tend to assign it and say it's due in two days, you know, do it whenever. So I feel really lucky and I'm sleeping a lot more. So, you know, it's been really flexible for me and it definitely has calmed down a lot since there's no test for big exams for us to prepare for. And I know when we had our last panel, we talked about sleep, and you said you're only sleeping a few hours a night. So how much sleep are you getting now? (laughs) Um, I'm getting a lot more sleep. I think I'm averaging like seven hours a night, if not more. That resonated with Olivia. And I think the sleep situation is kind of the same thing for me. I didn't get much sleep at all either. You know, I was going to bed around midnight every night or later, which I don't know. And I got up really early, too, just to get ready. And what does it look like now? I don't really let myself sleep in or else I waste too much time in the day. And then I have to kind of extend my time into night. And then this is kind of a cycle of not getting much sleep. So I've kind of had to wake up around nine o'clock every day just to get work done through school. And I've just been giving myself a format of just going like class by class because none of my teachers have done like Zoom meetings or anything. The only class I've actually had to like go in a meeting for student council and those have been optional and a lot of my teachers have just been using like platforms like Google Classroom to communicate with us, but that's about it. It's not just the day-to-day classes that are disrupted. Tests are too. And for juniors with college applications on the horizon, that's an especially big deal. My SAT was supposed to be on April 14th, and, you know, it obviously got canceled, which is, in a way, a, I don't know, not, not like a blessing, but a, a little bit like stress relieving because I definitely didn't feel prepared for it. But, you know, it's so important that we take it if we're, like, college-bound because now they're saying that it might be in September and, you know, colleges start opening applications in August. So that's really going to kind of alter our application processes. And I know a lot of people have been stressed about the AP test because I personally haven't taken any AP classes yet, but it definitely is super stressful to have these tests you were planning for just altered and you have to reformat your studying and just your schedule for it. Lily is a senior, and she'll graduate without the pomp and circumstance. You know, I can't speak for everybody. I do know some people who are really, you know, really sad and very torn up about it. I sort of kind of have to shift my attitude very quickly because, you know, I, I realized that if I dwelled on it, I would get, you know, even more sad. You know, there was like a little moment I was returning 
um, my prom dress because I hadn't taken the tag off. I felt like I was going to wear it. So I, I returned it and I was kind of like, oh, I was kind of excited to wear that dress. Um, but, you know, my the night that my prom was supposed to be, my parents took me out on the on the Colorado National Monument, and we took some really lovely photos. And um, I have some prom substitutes planned with my my dearest friends. So, you know, in terms of prom, I, I'm definitely going to be okay. Graduation, it, it was really weird to sort of come to terms with the fact that that wasn't going to be something I was going to be able to participate in. And I know they're, they're trying to figure out substitutes and, um, you know, I know Olivia, you're in student council, but if, if any of you also are like the work that you're doing for your seniors does matter, no matter how much they don't appreciate you, you know, verbally, um, you know, they're trying to actively figure out substitutes and they're trying to, um, you know, find a way to, to honor us. And I know a lot of schools have put up, you know, an Instagram account that is, you know, specific to seniors and you send in your photo and your college and what you're going to study. Um, but it's weird because, you know, you go your whole, you know, 12, even 13 years of school ready to have your cap and gown high school graduate moment and you can't, which um, honestly, I just hope I get my money back from the cap and gown, frankly. But um, I, I, I don't know. I think it's not the worst thing ever. And it's, I, I think I also am lucky because it's not like I'm the first one in my family to graduate high school or college or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's less of a milestone for me than some other students that I'm I'm good friends with. Um, and so I, I just am happy to be healthy and safe. And, you know, I, I did my normal thing. I sent out my grad extension. I'm going to sit at home and <laughs> probably have to shoot with my family or something to celebrate. So I, I'm not too torn up about it, but of course I'm a little disappointed. Yeah. Olivia, what is it like being on student council right now? So um, last Friday we had a meeting about, you know, prom and events like that. And we just weren't sure we were, you know, worried if people would want to participate in events like this. You know, we thought about doing something in the summer, but then, you know, we're not sure when this is going to end. You know, the possibility of the social distancing going on longer, the amount of people that can gather, and also just getting approval from the school district to do certain things. You know, and we talked about doing a virtual prom, but we weren't sure how we would implement that or get any participation. And we thought about trying to do something in the fall or winter, but there's just so many obstacles that are just making it difficult. And, you know, you know, especially the seniors and student council is so heartbreaking to see what they lost. It's just difficult because we don't really know what to do with it right now. And we're just kind of waiting, but, you know, we're not quite sure what we're waiting for. And just, we need, you know, we need answers about what's going to happen, but no one really knows. Yeah. So, Rodrigo yeah. and Elijah, what other milestones or events are you guys missing? Um, so right before uh, the quarantine started, I was supposed to go to Germany. So, yeah, like, that was probably the biggest event that I'm missing. What were you Other going to Germany that, for? Just a school trip. It was like a program that the school was in associations with. That would have been really exciting. Is there talk about rescheduling it or is it just canceled? It's canceled. We can either get a voucher for a trip to go by ourselves or we can get our money back. So I chose to get my money back. Uh, I don't feel like it would be funner than being with my friends. It, it would be awkward to go into another country by myself. Yeah, that's so, ugh, that's such a bummer to miss out on. Elijah, what about for you? Um, I know that before this quarantine was about to start, 
I was supposed to get a meeting about an internship I was eligible for next year for a flight attendant job, kind of. And this quarantine happened. Uh, they just canceled it. I can't. I got to wait till next year now for the meeting. Are you guys worried about your own health? I know that we talk mostly about coronavirus and the way that it affects older folks, but it's not like younger people don't get it. I think I've been worried. I, I'm, you know, I haven't been too worried that I'll catch it because I haven't been going out a ton. But, you know, if I'm at work, there's people, you know, that might could be carrying it and bringing it in. And, you know, we can still get it and give it to our, you know, especially, you know, I could give it to my parents who are more at risk, definitely. And how easy it spreads, it's kind of scary just because you can have it and not know and affect so many people. And that's why the social distancing is so important. Um, I think I definitely am. I I am more concerned for, for my parents. And so, you know, I've been very adamant that I'm I'm the one running the errands. I'm the one, you know, taking the box to the UPS store or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, I, I do worry every I, I wear a cloth mask when I go out that was made by one of my friend's moms and, you know, trying to even, like, I, I'm just a little bit paranoid, you know, when I take off the mask and put it in its plastic bag, um, you know, then I, then I have to sanitize my, my hands, but you know, what if, what if it was on the mask and now it's on, on my hand sanitizer bottle or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And so I, I do worry, but not necessarily for, for my health, I mean, I know that I could have some really intense health complications. I mean, anybody of any age could if they were to get it. But for me, it's more scary because I think there's a bigger chance of it really doing, you know, serious damage to, to my parents. So, of course, I'm worried about my own health, but I think I'm much more worried about, about my parents and my family. Elijah, what about for you? Um, I am a little concerned about my health because I am asthmatic. And it could mess me up respiratory more, I guess. Um, but I don't really go out as much anymore, so I'm not too concerned about it. But it's definitely on my mind. Is it hard for you to be dealing with that kind of an underlying condition when most people your age aren't and aren't as worried about it? It's different, you know, because they don't really understand. They don't really get it. They're, they want to go out and stuff, and they want to do it, and then come around me. But I can't really do that because, you know, I'm asthmatic, and they don't really get it, so it's just different. They've got other worries on their minds as well. Rodrigo lost his job at Coors Field due to COVID-19, and now he's working a delivery job. But that's not his main concern. My parents really haven't been home. They both work throughout the quarantine. So it scares them because... They don't want to, like, get sick, but they kind of have to, like, work. Uh, My mom works, she works as a cleaner, so they have to use bleach, but they're also, like, where a lot of people, like, pass throughout a day pretty much. And just, like, she works in really high-crowded areas because she cleans a lot of apartments. She's actually really scared of, like, getting sick. And they're also both scared of, like, getting hurt on the job because they don't want to have to go to a hospital for any other reason. And we all, like, are kind of holding our breaths at the moment. Um, I think what's really worrying me is with my work is, you know, I kind of was worried that I might get laid off or, you know, get less hours. And I kind of started to happen at first, but they kind of figured out a way to just keep everyone's hours the same. 
you know, because I don't rely on it as much as other people, but that's still really stressful. Yeah, and and where are you working? I work at Five Guys. Are you guys doing takeout and delivery? Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. No one's allowed to eat in the store, but, you know, we have masks now because of the new regulations, and it's pretty much the same, except we're doing curbside, and we still get our rushes, which I found interesting, and that can get pretty chaotic. And, like, it's kind of been weird because some people still wear masks, I mean, like, customers, but some won't, and that's just kind of interesting to see. You know, and we'll still get sometimes groups of friends that are coming in, and that's kind of frustrating because no one's really supposed to be gathering. Elijah said he's worried about students at his school who rely on free and reduced lunches. I'm just worried about how they're going to make it through because it's not easy anymore, especially with everybody hoarding things. Have you heard from friends at your school who haven't had enough to eat? I do hear from them. Um, just let it, like, just checking on them to make sure that they're doing okay. What are they telling you? Uh, that they struggle a little bit, but they're still going to make it because, you know, everything's going to be okay. And they got people helping them out right now. Lily starts college in the fall at the University of Denver. I guess I couldn't necessarily call it a worry because I am, you know, very lucky to have a space at home and, and to have, you know, to be able to work from home. But, you know, I do worry. What if my, my first term of college is, is online. Um, and I know, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because you wonder, you know, are, am I going to have to pay housing? Are they going to waive that for, you know, whenever we're going to be at home? What are they going to do? It's also been a while since these teens have seen their friends, but they're keeping up. I think I've just been communicating with like my closest friends kind of on social media a lot. I mean, I think maybe like Snapchat, just, you know, like talking back and forth. And that's really about it. But um, yeah, it's just like the constant like Snapchat or like the daily Snapchat to my friends, making sure they're OK. It's not that like sporadic Zoom calls. Like one of my friends will just make a random one and send a link out to all of us. And whoever joins just joins. So it's been pretty fun. So what are you talking about with your friends? Are you talking about the pandemic? Are you talking about anything but the pandemic? Me and my friends, uh, we don't really talk about the, like, quarantine. So, like, the, yeah, just the quarantine. I think we mostly talk about random stuff because we all kind of just need a distraction. Because the ones who are following, like, the social distancing and the stay-at-home orders are, like, kind of going crazy, being cooped up in their rooms all day. So uh, we just all kind of need that, like, one friend or, like, that group of friends just, like, distract us from where we are and, like, give us, like, hope that we're going to get out of here soon. What about for you, Elijah? We don't really talk about the pandemic like that. We're usually just talking about what we're going to do after it. What are you going to do after it? Uh, we all plan to go on a group date with our, with our girls. Yeah. Me and the boys and the girls. And those with parents and siblings at home with them are enjoying the extra time. Here's Lily. We're lucky that that we live in Colorado for sure. And I know I'm very lucky to live on the Western Slope because I have, you know, this giant national park, you know, literally less than 10 minutes from my house is the entrance. What I've been doing is definitely hiking and, you know, it's my younger sister. And that's what I've been doing other than... um, just enjoying time with my family. We've been doing 30 minutes of Monopoly every single night. 
because um, <laughs> Lord knows that if we if we didn't restrict the time, it could be a disaster. The world might be upside down, but these teens are not short on hope. The biggest thing giving me hope is uh, my friends. Just like knowing after this quarantine, we're going to have those car rides again. We're just going to like all be able to hang out again. So that's the one thing I'm just like, all right, I need to keep on pushing just for that. Yeah, I think for me, just kind of seeing on the news, you know, about more shelters opening for the homeless to give them protection from the virus or just, you know, people donating medical supplies or making masks, just those little things that are people doing to support those essential communities for those who need it is really hopeful and enlightening. I think it's the same for me. And, you know, you see people are clearly actively trying to take their skill set and sort of manifest it and helping other people. So, like... For example, I don't know if you get, you might have seen on social media, this guy named Ryan Heffington does like these dance classes every day, like dance cardio workout classes. And they are the most fun, like sweet things. And he's talked about it. And he said, this is, you know, my contribution to the world so that I can help people maintain their mental health and, and their physical health and whatever it is. And I think seeing individual people and companies sort of make certain things available based on their skill sets to kind of contribute to the greater good definitely gives me hope for, of course, coronavirus, but even for other issues, you know, seeing how we are able to come together. Elijah, what about for you? Um, just a sense of that when this, all this is over, things will be almost back to normal, and I can just enjoy myself more playing basketball. Basketball is really keeping me going here, just wanting to play. Elijah Mills is a freshman from Denver. Lily Flanagan is a senior in Palisade. Olivia Munch is a junior from Fort Collins. And Rodrigo Villalobos from Denver is also a junior. They spoke with me as a part of our series, Teens Under Stress, to talk about how they're navigating the disruption from the COVID-19 pandemic. After the break, a day in the life of one of the thousands of people suddenly unemployed because of coronavirus. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. Words cannot capture how important CPR is to our family. I am edified daily by the well-programmed classical music, and my wife and I both rely on CPR news for clear, focused, and factual reporting, especially during the coronavirus outbreak. CPR, you are my go-to source for news and my solace for music. Thank you so much for being there, especially now. Join me in keeping all of us connected by giving to CPR.org. Donna Numbers is one in 350,000, a single person in the wave of unemployment that has upended people's lives across the state. CPR followed her on April 16th as a part of our project chronicling a day in the life of Coloradans during the pandemic. Andrew Kinney reports. Donna Numbers woke up tired on a recent Thursday. She'd been through so much, and there was so much ahead. I'm just getting up and around. I think the lack of sleep the last few days has finally caught up with me. All the worry and unknown. Now, bigger changes loomed. Numbers, 48, was moving to Denver to live with her mother and save money. That meant leaving her chihuahua, Marley, with a friend. I love my dog. I've had him for 10 years, and I would do anything I could. So this is heartbreaking. First, she needed to get his dog food, special stuff, since Marley was just diagnosed with a medical condition. She paused outside the store, watching the rain. As the storm poured on, numbers sunk into sadness. I've never just felt so 
alone, um, having such a hard time getting through to the unemployment office each day, calling like two and three hundred times, just not sure of how I'm going to get out of this hole. Next, she headed to her storage unit. She only needed a plastic bag of clothing, enough for the weeks ahead. So I left all of my other household items in storage, my washer and dryer, my furniture, coffee table, and tables that my dad made, the beds that my dad made before he passed away. Afterwards, she drove the empty streets. She stopped briefly at the convenience store and talked with a woman she's come to know. And bless her heart, she said, if she had her own place, she would let me come stay with her but she's renting a room from a relative. It was enough to remind her that we're all in this together. Hopefully this ends soon and somehow we can go back to some kind of normal life or hopefully better than it was before. But she didn't know when that would be. I'm Andrew Kenny, CPR News. COVID Diaries Colorado is a partnership with 20 other news organizations across the state. You can see the reporting at CPR.org. When we feel a sense of loss during the pandemic, it can be hard to find an outlet to process the emotion we feel because the isolation that comes with social distancing, even the isolation itself can create a sense of loss. We lose our ability to go to the places we want when we want. That's what the latest episode of At a Distance Explores, the podcast from CPR News about life during the pandemic. Here are hosts Sam Brash and May Ortega. Hello, Sam. Hey, May. So I had a conversation recently, and it really stuck with me. Okay. Uh, tell me, tell me more. So Tracy Lane was born and raised in Denver. Mm-hmm. Her story starts about a month ago, just as the pandemic was really taking over everyone's life. Yeah. So I was um, in the grocery store that morning, trying to find food. You know, it was really apocalyptic, crazy at the store. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we just got news that um, all of this was happening. So while I was trying to battle with all of the people in the aisles looking for food, I get a call from my mom that my dad was starting to transition. Um, Those were her words. He's starting to transition from this life. Oh, man. Um, Did he die of COVID-19 or? or... No, no. He had throat cancer. Um, Yeah, but Tracy knew in that crazy grocery store, in that moment, you know, the pandemic was going to be a big part of how she would face her dad's death. Everything kind of stopped, you know. Here I'm like surrounded in this madness um, and it was already just so strange. And then I'm getting this unbelievable news, you know, and and we knew that the time was going to be coming. But I guess Mm -hmm. you just never expect it to actually happen. And for it to happen when it did, in the middle of a pandemic, just made everything so much more complicated for Tracy and her family. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, we've heard a lot about people who can't say goodbye to their loved ones as they're dying. But, you know, mm-hmm. this is something else that I haven't thought of. Like, if someone does die, you also don't have a lot of the tools we use to grieve. You don't have funerals. You mm-hmm. don't have memorials. You can't do 
any of those things. So it's just so much harder to to know what to do, I would think. Right, yeah. And that's not to mention people who may have lost their jobs won't get to have their high school graduation and just uh-huh. like losing a lot of aspects about the life they used to know. So on this episode of At a Distance, we're going to look at how people are grieving right now and how all of us can process death, loss, disappointment in the midst of a global pandemic. So, Sam, Tracy's dad didn't pass away immediately after that call in the supermarket. He spent his final hours in hospice care. Were you allowed to see him and spend time with him? Yeah, so he was only there um, less than 24 hours, really, And we were allowed to see him at that time, which was such a blessing. Um, I was even allowed to spend the night with him. Were you there when he passed away? Yes. Um, You know, and that's something, too, that I feel so fortunate that we had. So um, he had a really rough night. And it was Mm -hmm. clear that at least his body was in a lot of pain. And my brother and my mom arrived the next day. And within minutes, he he was gone. So it was like he waited for my mom and my brother for us all to be there. And I think about people that don't get to have that experience. Um, It was such a profound experience to me and my family, you know, and Mm -hmm. to think that uh, possibly being denied that would just be terrible. So I guess they they couldn't have a, a funeral or a memorial or anything like that? That's exactly right. Tracy says her family hasn't had a memorial, a funeral, anything like that. And they actually haven't spent much time together at all since her dad died because of the pandemic, right? I mean, like, aside from a few Zoom calls around Easter, you know, because it was a holiday. And she actually thinks her dad would have hated that because he didn't like technology. (laughs) So that kind of ruled out like a virtual memorial as well. And they also haven't published an obituary for him either. Whoa. So like, that's like everything you do after somebody dies. They mm-hmm. haven't been able to do any of it. They're just stuck with yeah. this news. Right. Like the pandemic essentially put her and her family's mourning process on hold. And Tracy says all of this is also really difficult because the rest of the world has been mourning everything else. The day that my dad passed, I called my uncle in Kansas, my dad's brother, And we were even then thinking maybe in April there would be a chance Mm -hmm. of them coming out to a service. But as time goes on, we just don't talk to people about it. People don't ask. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's just... It is what it is, right? Yep. Just is what it is. How do you think all of these different challenges have affected your own grieving process? You know, there's so many different feelings about it. Um, I know at the beginning when my dad passed, it was kind of nice that the world was grieving. Hmm. Um, It's really hard. I don't know. I'm assuming that you've lost people. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really hard losing someone and the world keeps moving and everybody's happy and at work and, you know, and people are great and no one really knows how to respond to you. You know, there, there definitely was initially a comfort in grieving while the rest of the world was grieving as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then it became clear to me that a part of the grieving process is being able to be in the real world while people are moving on, you know, oh, and that, yeah. and that that's where your support is, right? So mm-hmm. although it's painful that people are happy and living their life, you have a shoulder to cry on or you have people there to ask you how you're doing. Wow, that is so weird. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, and when you're just at home, like, yeah, I have friends who check in on me, but everyone's feeling pretty low. Mm-hmm. And, and you're so far apart from everyone, it's like, like, like it hasn't happened because it's not being recognized by the world. In a way, it's almost like my dad didn't die, you know? That's so hard to hear, but it, it makes a lot of sense to me, too. Of course, she doesn't feel like it happened because it hasn't been recognized. This, like, mm-hmm. these processes and rituals we have set up to grieve, like funerals, we just can't do them right now. Mm-hmm. And that's actually why I figured I'd reach out to a grief counselor to figure out what Tracy and other people who may be grieving right now can do to handle how they're feeling. Okay. Uh, What exactly is a grief counselor? Sure. Basically, it's a therapist who specializes in loss. The one that I tracked down is named Allison Gary. We don't typically talk about grief on the bigger scale, which truthfully, grief is a normal, healthy reaction to loss. And that's any type of loss. Okay, so so she's basically saying what Tracy was saying, that grief isn't just the reaction to, to somebody dying. It's way bigger than that. Yeah, death is just one big reason someone might grieve, and that's something Allison actually knows a lot about professionally and personally. Death became a part of her life when she was just five years old, and she says she's had more losses since then. One of my kind of final straw moments that led me into the field really directly was when a childhood friend of mine died by suicide, and it occurred to me that if someone as wonderful as him could feel that without hope um, to such a degree and not receive the help and support that he needed. Really, the message to me was that the world needs more helpers to heal. So I told Allison about Tracy's situation and how she feels that her dad's death didn't really count. And her big message was that stuff shouldn't be what makes his death count. It's still real, even though there's a pandemic going on. Regardless of what's happening in the world, his death did matter. And it does matter to that family and to the people that knew him. And so being able to really mark and remember and memorialize in a way that is meaningful to them. So creating something like a memory box, which is something that you can open and have letters and pictures and significant things that you can go through. Another thing I've had some people do is engaging in an activity that that person likes um, or that they did, but finding a way to try to um, maintain connection to him in grief might be really helpful or feel soothing. Allison has more advice that doesn't just apply to Tracy, but to anyone who may have a sense of loss right now. One thing she really emphasized was that grief works on a case-by-case basis. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of emotion. It's important to do what you need to do for yourself right now. Go back to what do you need right now? 
Do you need to take a long shower? Do you need to go for a walk? Do you need to lay on your sofa and watch a comforting TV show? Do you need to just cry? Allowing that emotion to be and allowing it to be expressed. Okay, so don't fight the grief. Like, let it happen even if it's not pretty, even if you're, you know, crying in the shower or whatever. <laughs> yeah, just go okay. with the flow. Um, another thing that Allison told me is to give yourself some time and space to process what you're feeling. No need to rush through your sadness or your shock or whatever grief looks like for you. Typically what happens within those emotional experiences in grief is that in time they will resolve. The grief will get integrated enough into life that those things don't stay elevated. If everyone around you seems to be grieving too, don't let that stop you from reaching out to friends and family when you need it. There will be some people who will not have capacity for your grief, not because they don't want to, but maybe because they don't know how or because they themselves are consumed in their own grief. So there will be people that can't help you for whatever reason. And that doesn't mean to stop looking for helpers, you know. And lastly, know that we can get through this. And yes, that includes you too. We are all able to heal. We have the natural capacity to be resilient and to heal. And so I think sometimes remembering that and validating that can also be really helpful because grief does feel scary sometimes. Like right now, this uncertainty, it's, it's pretty palpable, but the healing will come. There are thousands upon thousands of people who are going through this, losing someone or something. Like, it's a global time of mourning, I think. Definitely. Grieving a loved one, a job you lost, or, like, even the life you used to have in the before times. And that's perfectly fine. Like, I know I'm feeling that, right? I mean, yeah, there's so many little things that I just feel like I'm grieving now. Like, I can't you know, being the nerd I am, go, like, browse a bookstore when I have an extra hour. I can't Mm -hmm. go have dinner at my parents' house. I can't go to a concert. And it's nothing compared to what Tracy has been through. I haven't lost anyone um, Mm -hmm. during this pandemic, but there's lots of big changes, and there's lots of losses. Yeah, like... Grieving is just something that people do. It's in our bones, and it's not something we should really be afraid of, right? We should learn how to grieve and accept things that we're feeling. One last thing. We mentioned earlier that Tracy's family didn't get to publish an obituary for her dad, and she loves writing. So I asked her what she would have written to memorialize him. His name is Donald Warford. Later in life, he had a lot of pride in doing yard work. That was his favorite thing ever, which is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> he he was a family man. He loved his family more than anything. Um, his generosity was just unmatched, and he cared for people. And he was a kind man, and he was funny, and he was smart. He He made everyone feel like his friend. You know, he was... He was a salesman, and he was successful at that only because of how he made people feel. Probably a month or two before he passed, I was crying about something. And I apologized to him, kind of like, oh, I'm sorry I'm crying about this. And he's like, Tracy, no, it's okay. He's like, you are such a kind and loving person. (laughs) 
And it was so nice, you know, for him to share that with me. Yeah. And he, he, he did see people. He was, he just was a really good man. And I was very proud of who he became. That's great. Sorry. <laughs> I'm crying a little bit. Um. <laughs> <sighs> Sam Brush and May Ortega, hosts of At a Distance, the CPR podcast about life during the pandemic. You can hear this and other episodes of At a Distance for free on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the winner of Denverite's Flash Fiction Contest, inspired by healthcare workers risking their lives every day to fight the virus. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. We've been hearing from so many readers and listeners about how their lives have changed during the coronavirus pandemic. Walk on the sidewalk, they get off and get into the street, and I try and smile. And each weekday in our evening newsletter, we're asking Coloradans to tell us what their new normal looks like. Well, work stresses me out the most. I'm sad that I can't be with my grandkids. I've been FaceTiming every night, and I've never Work been lives, worries, time. silver linings. Read those profiles by signing up for our newsletter at CPR.org lookout. Let's walk in the shoes of a healthcare worker with a short story. It's called Radioactive, and it won the flash fiction contest held by our colleagues at Denverite. Radioactive by Isabel Guzman. She stomps in a muddy puddle before entering to feel the water and watch the brown droplets running down her boots. She is thankful that even in beautiful 70-degree weather, there are still piles of snow slowly melting away. She thinks of the time at Estes Park and how sunny it was. She was amazed by the coexistence of snow and sun. While she walks, she winces at the spot in the middle of her back as it tenses. Oh, must be the couch she has been sleeping on for the past couple of months, she thinks. Not that she has been sleeping much. Her days are indistinguishable, and she is certain they last forever. Her sleeplessness is horrifically noticeable when she sees herself in the reflection of the automatic doorway of the hospital. Even with the fluorescent glow of the St. Joseph Hospital sign reflected on her face, Her sunken eyes are her most prominent feature. She thinks, I look bad. A mixture of sweat, the stress-induced kind, bleach, and plastic. Reasonably foul, she decides. Inside, she is welcomed by a cacophony of ringing phones, the crinkling of PPE packages, and rubber shoes on tiles. She makes her way to her assigned station, avoiding looking at the clock. Time doesn't help here, she knows. As she slides on her gloves and gown, the head doctor calls her over to the usual meeting spot, which is a simple corner of space. Revised protocol, she asks, certain of his response. The team meets every few hours to discuss the ever-changing virus. He starts to chuckle, but it seems to have gotten caught in his throat. Or maybe his face mask mumbled it. Well, not yet, but uh, I wanted to tell you. Uncomfortable, with just a moment of silence, she has to say something to fill the air. We've been instructed 
to encourage all doctors and nurses to evaluate the risks we are putting ourselves in, sit down with your families and essentially draw up a will. She's become accustomed to the professional tone of his voice, but somehow it sounds different this time. Oh, I know that's a lot to hear, but we all must have a mutual understanding of how close we are to drowning here. We are the ones who save everyone. No one saves us. You understand. On her visit with a non-infected patient, she knows she must discuss the possibility of their last days, which have arrived sooner than they thought. This patient has underlying respiratory issues, including heart disease. He was a smoker long ago, when smoking was considered a harmless hobby, a getaway from the kids and wife, he once told her. She enters the room with a clipboard of his medical history and a pen, Upon the side of him, she stores her pen away. She does not want to document what their conversation will entail. She does not want to remember another moment that will keep her up at night. She feels an urge to hold her patient's hand, but she knows that is risky. To feel the warmth of another human is risky. She eases her shoulders when he gives her an understanding smile. I have lived enough. I have seen enough. She checks his vitals before leaving and washes her hands thoroughly in the tiny sink next to his bed. She thinks, we will have an extra bed at least. Then a wave of guilt washes over her. How are you feeling apart from the virus? He asks her as she dries her hands. She can feel her heart race. Truthfully, this virus is everything. It is nearly midnight when she kicks off her boots and is welcomed home by Bean's meows. What a lucky cat to sit at home and do nothing all day, she thinks. She hops into the steaming hot shower, scrubbing away whatever radioactive molecules have strapped themselves to her throughout the day. She sits at her two-person dining table, with Bean sleeping at her feet. Am I supposed to leave everything to Bean? She wonders, then laughs. (sighs) When was the last time she laughed? She leaves her furniture to her father, who is always recycling old furniture to customize his own. Her cousin has always adored her collection of glass menageries, so she will leave those to him. She has to remember to print out a maintenance guide for him, since he will almost surely try to put them in direct sunlight and not dust them. The image of her figurines collecting dust in a 19-year-old's dorm room sends shivers down her spine. She laughs again. She knows she still must comb through her life insurance, credit cards, and outstanding debts. I I am not ready to do that. I need more time, she thinks. Tears begin to fall, but she knows she must keep writing. Time does not wait for me. Time doesn't help here, she knows. 
she decides to leave her ski pass to her sister, who has never been skiing, but will have to go to honor her memory. She will appreciate the coexisting of the sun and snow, too. Radioactive by Colorado writer Isabel Guzman. Her story won Wright's Flash Fiction Contest thanks to actor Jerry Henshaw of Stories on Stage for bringing it to life. You can read the story at denverite.com. While we're on the subject of reading, we want to tell you about something new for readers of all ages. It's called Turn the Page with Colorado Matters. We'll choose a book, you read it, and then join us for a video chat with the author. The first book is All the Impossible Things by Lindsay Lackey, who grew up in Colorado Springs. It's available online through our partners at The Tattered Cover or wherever you get your books. Then join us for the Facebook Live event May 20th. You can find details and registration at cpr.org slash turn the page. Thank you for joining us on Colorado Matters today. I'm Avery Lill. This is CPR News.